When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. As always, I am your host, Gene Ross, joined by my lovely co-host, Josh Dooley. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon? Oh, uh, doing good, man. It seems like the rain has been hitting everywhere. I know it hit you last week when we were talking. It's crushing us. So just one of those dreary Mondays, but... Ready to pod. The pod solves all. Yes, the pod does not stop for rain, sleet, or snow. It has been a little little crappy weather here on the East Coast for a while with the tropical storm and all that good stuff. But, you know, we, we power through nothing too crazy, just a little bit of rain and clouds. But anyway, that hasn't stopped any of the Ohio State news, as usual, both on the football field and on the basketball court. And, of course, whenever we're talking Ohio State news in the offseason, our eyes generally tend to focus on recruiting. And since we last spoke, Josh, Ohio State has added another commit in their 2022 class, and that would be four-star offensive tackle George Fitzpatrick. He is a six foot six, 285-pound tackle from Colorado. He's the second offensive lineman in Ohio State's 2022 class behind Tegra Shibola. And he's a guy that he's a bit of a, full, a low four star. He's the number twenty seven O tackle, the number two guy in Colorado. I think this is the second year in a row Ohio State has landed a player from Colorado. They got Sam Hart, the tight end, in the twenty twenty one class. But he was he's a bit of an under the radar guy. Not a guy that we've talked about a bunch here, but clearly a guy that Ohio State staff and Greg Studrawa were high on to take him this early in the process. So George, what did you think of this commitment? I could I just called you George Josh. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um. Seems like he was flying a little bit under the radar, but I think that we had seen uh, some rumblings for the better part of a week or two that, you know, the, the interest level was high. Uh, you know, they identified him as, as a guy that they wanted. And the way that Ohio State is and has been recruiting, uh, you know, the offensive line has, has lagged behind a little bit in terms of that, but they can still go out and have their pick of the litter, I would say. They clearly identified him as a guy that fit their scheme. Uh, They liked his attitude. They liked what they saw on film, obviously. But the thing that I look at is the frame. You know, 6'6", 280, he's got room to grow. Uh, Definitely seems like a bookend kind of guy. So in Ohio State, I trust. And in Ohio State, we trust. The ratings kind of go out the window for me, especially when we're looking at a 2022 guy. Uh, he could put it together another great year, another great season, and rise up the board. So maybe we jumped on this guy early, but Coach Stud liked what he saw, and we needed something along that offensive line for the 2022 class. 
Uh, it was lagging behind a little bit, like I said. And so to have a second tackle in the fold or a second lineman in the fold, it's a good start. And then we build from there and we see how this kid develops and, until he gets here in Columbus. Yeah, absolutely. And it could wind up to be another, you know, kind of a Zen Michalski kind of situation where they got him when he was a three star and he wound up working his way up to a, a four star by the time his commitment was over and really jumped up the rankings once Ohio State got involved there. And he really started putting on some pounds and, and getting his body ready for college football. We could see a similar move there for Fitzpatrick. And we're still looking for Ohio State to land the, the big national offensive tackle. I mean, this yeah. is a national recruit in the sense that they went out to Colorado to get him. But obviously, there's still guys out there that Ohio State's very interested in. Uh, the clear uh, the clear names being Zach Rice, the number one offensive tackle and five-star recruit out of Virginia. Uh, obviously, they're, they're high on Cam Dewberry, who seems like a guy that's, that's pretty fond of Ohio State. There's also the in-state Emil Wagner, who's a high four-star. So there are other options out there in terms of offensive tackles. But like you said, it's good to get these offensive linemen in here early, especially if they're guys that could potentially move up the rankings. And it's a position of need, of course. And and you love seeing you know bodies in the in the class. You know you can't you can't rely on these guys, these high high target guys to to be commitments. You can't just peg them in and say, all right, we're good. We're going to get this guy and this guy. You have to kind of have a bird in hand, so to say. So to have two in two tackles in the class already is a good start. And obviously there will be much more to come as we continue in the 2022 class. Yeah, and Dewberry, um, I've seen some crystal ball projections with him coming to Ohio State. It does seem like he's very fond of the program. So we know that this is going to be about volume, the 2022 class, along the offensive line especially. So we're not going to stop at two. The two that we have don't have to be the number one and two tackles in the country. I would be shocked if we don't bring in three, four, possibly five guys. So this is a depth class. And you're going to have guys who you're going to have five star guys who fail to meet expectations. And you're going to have guys like George Fitzpatrick who exceed expectations. So I think it's a good start. And like I said previously, we'll build on this and we'll bring more guys into the fold. And I'm not too concerned about it yet to get two guys committed for the class is a very, very good start. Absolutely. And if you guys are looking for more on Ohio State recruiting, uh, our, our other my co-managing editor, Matt, hopped on a podcast this week on their Dotted the Line podcast with Ari Wasserman of The Athletic, who's always been big on recruiting. And he used to do more Ohio State stuff. Now he does more of a national landscape recruiting, but he's a very good guy, very knowledgeable uh, guy in terms of recruiting. So definitely check that out if you're looking for more in terms of Ohio State recruiting and the national scale at large. But in, in talking of Ohio State adding more players to their teams, Ohio State basketball added a big name to its roster, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, late last week in uh, guard Cedric Russell. Uh, He played his last four years at Louisiana. He's a guy who averaged 17 points per game last year, 14.4 points per game the year before. Uh, He's a 40% three-point shooter, which is not even like a fluke because he takes over seven per game. So he is a volume shooter. He's a good replacement for for Dwayne Washington, that offense, Ohio State now has another guard who is adept at scoring, a guy to take some of the scoring pressure off of EJ Liddell, who we talked about last week, is making his return. And it's, it's a pretty big ad, it seems like, for the Ohio State basketball team, Josh. What do you think? Yeah, I like that they're bringing in a player with experience. You know, four-year guy at Louisiana. He's a grad transfer. He can fill it up, 17 points per game at Louisiana, like you said. Volume shooter, like you said. And... What I like about the addition of Russell is they continue to add experience or they're bringing in experience. They're not going the one and done route, although, you know, who who knows what happens with Branham and, and some of the other guys. But they're building this program and this team a certain way. And we've seen it be successful 
when you look at the potential starting five, I mean, you're looking at Jamari Wheeler, Cedric Russell, Justice Suing, probably EJ, obviously, and probably Kyle Young. You just look at the experience across the board. All of those guys have a minimum of two years. Um, Liddell, the least experienced guy in the potential starting lineup, I guess I would call it. So I, I like what they're doing there. They're bringing guys in who have been there and done it. Same thing with Seth Towns. They're bringing in guys who have played college basketball. They've seen how it's done. They've got the reps under their belt. And I think it's going to be a really good team. To have this level of experience is not something you see across the national landscape in college basketball. We've got kids who are going to the G League or they, they're one-and-done guys, but Ohio State's going a different route, and I think that it's going to prove to be the right route for them. Obviously, this is what Chris Holtman wants. These are the guys that he wants. So I think Russell's going to be a really good addition. Uh, like you said, he kind of fills that Dwayne Washington role. He's not a big assist guy. He's not a point guard by any means. He's more of a, a combo guy, but really he's an undersized shooting guard. But so is Dwayne. You know, Dwayne Washington is a hair under 6'4". Cedric Russell is 6'2". They're not going to have the biggest guys on the court, but I think that that can play to their advantage. I said in our Slack group that they could really potentially small ball some teams to death. When you look at potentially having Kyle Young out there as your biggest guy, or you go super small and Justice Suing and EJ Liddell are your front court and you're playing three guards at a time, a lot of guys who can score, move fast, get the ball up and down the court. So I really like it. I'm really excited by it, and I think it's going to be a different dynamic. I think you're going to see Ohio State move the ball a lot up and down, like I said, fast-paced, and Russell can can fit right in. Give him the ball, let him create, let him take some threes. Wheeler is not going to be somebody who looks to shoot a whole lot, so they're going to have a lot of offense around him, and I think they'll put up a lot of points. Yeah, and, and Chris Holman was on record saying, you know, Ohio State wasn't going to really look to add anybody that he didn't feel felt the, the current roster. So obviously Russell is a guy that he feels fits with the current roster. I would agree with that sentiment because I think they have, like you said, in terms of just experience, the amount of, of guys they have with that with three or four years under their belt now in the college game, especially, you know, a lot of these guys have been playing in the Big Ten, like Kyle Young and EJ and all these other guys for a couple of years now. So they, they get the grind of that schedule. Russell might take a little bit to adapt to the, the physicalness uh, outside of the Sun Belt. You know, Big Ten's a little bit a little bit different of a game, but I'm sure he'll be he'll adapt and he'll be fine. But I think Ohio State has a lot of complementary pieces on this team, both in terms of roles and in terms of leadership, because they have guys, like you said, Jamari Wheeler is more of a defensive presence as a guard. So now you pair him with Russell to score, and you have two guys that know their roles and aren't going to like get a step in each other's way and, and kind of like demand. They're not too ball demanding guards, so that's good. And obviously they have all these veteran guys to go along with the young guns like Malachi Branham and Michi Johnson, who is who is still just 18 despite having played last year when he enrolled early. So they have a good mix of youth and veteran leadership. They have a good mix of guys who have their own roles and, and know what their roles are and, and just have complementary skill sets to one another. So I think this is a big addition for Ohio State. Uh, it moved them up in a lot of te- uh, like people's preseason rankings because without Dwayne Washington, people were a little little down on Ohio State. I wouldn't say down, but they were they were less high on them than if they had both come back. But now that Russell is added and EJ is back, Ohio State's climbing up some of those preseason leaderboards, and we love to see that. Yeah, I think at the very least, Russell could be potentially a super sub. 
You know, maybe if he doesn't start and it takes him a while to get acclimated to the Big Ten, 17 points per game at the college level and 40% of your threes at seven per, you know, seven per game, that translates regardless. So if he doesn't come in and start right away, he could be somebody who comes off the bench and provides a scoring punch when other guys just don't have it or when teams are focusing on EJ or whomever. So super sub is probably the floor or, or hopefully the floor for Cedric Russell. I think he'll be a really, really good addition. And he's, he's something different with that, with that shooting skill that he possesses. Yeah, definitely. It should be another fun year for Ohio state basketball, but now uh, we're going to, we're going to switch things up on the pod a little bit here, but we are going to, you know, in terms of talking about guys that, that did commit to Ohio state or have been added to Ohio state, we're going to, we're going to talk about a guy. What if a guy had, had not, committed to Ohio State. So in honor of uh, Land Grant Holy Land's What If Week, which is our theme this week here on the site, uh, we're going to look at some potential, like Ohio State hypotheticals and just kind of break down what we think, you know, could have happened or would have happened in different scenarios. And so the first one that Josh and I had come up with is what if Justin Fields never decommitted from Penn State? Uh, If you're unaware, before Justin Fields ended up at Georgia, he was originally committed to Penn State. And he wound up decommitting and then committing to the Bulldogs. So Ohio State was technically the third team he had he had committed to once he, he arrived in Columbus. But obviously that would may be a huge ripple effect on both Ohio State and the Big Ten as a whole if Justin Fields had been the quarterback of the Nittany Lions. So uh, you know, it, depending on when he would have started there, obviously I think he would have been you know he would have been the best quarterback Penn State maybe had in the last like forever. So it would have been a huge blow to Ohio State's roster. We don't know what their quarterback situation would have looked like. Penn State would have been a lot more fierce of an opponent than they have been, and they've already been pretty tough for Ohio State, even when they aren't the best team in the world. They just kind of seem to have the Buckeyes' number and play them close every time. So having Justin Fields there would have been a big hurdle for the Buckeyes to climb, and it would have, it would have changed perhaps the entire complexion of Ohio State as we know it now because Justin Fields really was the, was the Ryan Day like start of his quarterback guru leadership kind of kind of mantra. And so who knows like the the domino effect if Justin Fields wouldn't have played quarterback at Ohio State and instead would have played in uh in uh Penn State. Yeah, I'm really excited about the what if week. You'll see stuff on the site and uh on podcasts throughout the week, some revisionist history to go back and look at some entertaining stories or some um you know uh potential whether it benefited Ohio State or not sort of things. And so when we're talking about Justin Fields specifically, if he had gone to Penn State or maybe he stayed at Georgia, whatever, if Justin Fields doesn't come to Ohio State, I think the most likely scenario is a one-year dip. We've seen that Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and those guys, they can go out and recruit. So if it wasn't Justin Fields, they would have identified somebody else to bring in. Maybe not through transfer, but that's why I say the one-year dip could have occurred. They would have brought somebody in eventually, right? We've seen it since. But if you look at that 2019 season that Justin Fields played for Ohio State, if he had not been here, I think ultimately that means that Tate Martell would have been the starter. And that's a scary thought, in my opinion. We've seen what has happened to Tate Martell's career since he left. But when Justin Fields announced his transfer, Tate was still enrolled here. He was not in great standing, obviously, and that's why he ended up leaving shortly thereafter. But that was an Urban Meyer guy. Urban Meyer brought in Tate Martell. 
and he had a completely different skill set. He was undersized. He had sort of a Johnny Manziel skill set and even aura to him when you look at his personality. So when we go back and we look at the potential what-ifs for that 2019 season, I think we could have seen a dip there. We definitely would not have seen a college football playoff appearance, in my opinion. I don't think that we would have been nearly as good with Tate Martell taking snaps. And Matthew Baldwin was also with the program in 2018. I don't know when he transferred. Maybe he was in the fold. The other guys that were there or stayed were Gunnar Hoke. He was another transfer from Kentucky. And we had Chugs. Chris Chuganoff was also on the depth chart. So you're probably looking at a combination of Tate Martell, Gunnar Hoke, and Chris Chuganoff. And that does not bode well looking back in history for Ohio State and for the 2019 season. And when you just extrapolate extrapolate it, I'm sorry, out over the 2020 season as well, you know, do we see two back-to-back seasons like Justin Fields had? My answer is no. So I think it could have been a scary scenario, but I think it would have been a one-year, one-off sort of thing, and we would have rebuilt that quarterback room some other way. But, you know, then on the other side of things, to potentially go against Justin Fields, you're right, that's a scary proposition. Penn State has been a thorn in our side regardless of quarterback play. To put a guy like Justin Fields behind center playing in the conference, having to play them once a year at a minimum, I I don't want to say nightmare scenario, but we came out smelling like roses when it came – to Justin Fields, and it's probably one of the biggest what-ifs outside of 2015, which I know we'll get to, the 2015 uh, CFP, probably one of the biggest what-ifs that I can think of going back a a decade or so. I mean, it just would have changed the history of Ohio State. We've seen what they've accomplished the last couple of years. Transcendent transcendent player and – like you said, it could have really rewritten the Ryan Day story too. You know, who knows where we're at? Who knows who's playing quarterback for Ohio State? Where Ryan Day is at? How he's kind of viewed as the quarterback guru, like you mentioned. Probably, and that's why we're bringing it up first. Probably one of the biggest what ifs, like I said, in the last decade or so. And I, I couldn't be more. I couldn't be more glad that he ended up in the Scarlet and Gray, playing for the Buckeyes. You know, I'll I'll turn it back to you. I could go on and on and on. Justin Fields did some phenomenal things here, and I think we'll remember him for years and years to come. Yes, luckily we'll never have to know the what-ifs or what actually would have happened. But just looking at, you know, from the Penn State side of things, their quarterback in 2018, which is when Justin Fields was a freshman, was Trace McSorley, who wasn't bad. He was actually really a pretty good college quarterback. He was a lot of fun to watch. He had a lot of energy. But then going into the 2019 season, Penn State was trotting out Sean Clifford, and, and we've seen a lot of Sean Clifford at this point, and he just doesn't really look like the guy. So I would imagine by the by his second season, Justin Fields would be the starting quarterback at Penn State. And that game in 2019 was pretty close. Ohio State won 28 to 17. So it wasn't the biggest blowout in the world. And having a quarterback that wasn't Sean Clifford and was instead Justin Fields definitely could have changed the the outcome of that game. And, and I think more than anything, it could have changed Ohio State's recruiting. I think, you know, Ohio State doesn't have a good reputation for developing quarterbacks for the NFL. And Justin Fields was really the first guy to come around in a while uh, and, and really change that narrative. Obviously, Dwayne Haskins had a lot of hype, but 
it hasn't panned out to this point. But Justin Fields is really a guy that, you know, since since starting day one, he was someone that NFL scouts were looking at as, as someone that was going to be a top pick in the NFL draft. And then, you know, after he came here, if you're looking at Ohio State's quarterback room now, like you said, if he hadn't come here, Ohio State's quarterback room would have been likely Tate Martell, Chris Chuganoff, and Gunnar Hoke. And compare that with what they have now of, you know, five-star Kyle McCord, five-star C.J. Stroud, and high four-star Jack Miller. I just don't know if that kind of thing becomes a reality without, you know, proof of concept that Ryan Day could develop quarterbacks and have someone like Justin Fields come here and, and ball out and make it to the NFL. So who knows if guys like Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud ever even commit here without seeing something like that in Columbus and seeing the type of offense that they could play in. And then, you know, the same goes for Quinn Ewers down the road, the, the number one overall recruit in 2022 so I think this could have had a, a pretty big effect on Ohio State's recruiting and I don't think they would have had you know three-star guys coming in but I, I think a you know an average four-star quarterback would be a more more uh like expected outcome for for what they had seen in in past years with the quarterbacks other than Dwayne Haskins so I think I think more than anything this would have had a big ripple effect on Ohio State's recruiting at the quarterback position and just the thoughts of uh, like you said, like Ryan Day's reputation as a quarterback guy. I think Justin Fields had a lot to do with that, and he laid the groundwork for big things to come at Ohio State. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It made Ryan Day, or it gave him the reputation that he has now. He was able to, and he helped you know, develop Dwayne Haskins, obviously, into a great quarterback as well. But it started a trend where people were able to see, hey, look what happened with Dwayne Haskins. And then look what happened with Justin Fields. And now guys are lining up, hoping to get noticed by Ohio State, hoping to get an opportunity at Ohio State. So that's a great point by you. The proof is in the pudding. We got to see in back-to-back years what Ryan Day could do with an offense and with the right quarterback. So it could have changed a lot of things. You know, We could have had Tate Martell types in here year after year, and probably not because that wasn't the – the body type or the mold that Ryan Day has gone after. But, uh, but, but yeah, it could have led to lean years as opposed to where we've got guys, like I said, knocking down the door and five stars left and right coming in here. That's a great, great point by you. Yeah, and it, this isn't the only uh, what if we'd like to look at in terms of the quarterback room, like Josh alluded to. Uh, we also want to we want to talk about what if what if JT Barrett had never gotten hurt during the the 2014-15 playoff run. Uh, uh, Jamie had written something last week about this, and as part of her unpopular opinion column, that which was our our theme last week, and she wrote that OSU would not have won the 2015 title with JT Barrett at quarterback. And I'm I'm one to agree, and I don't. I, it's no fault of JT Barrett on his own, but I just think the style of play that Ohio State went to with Cardale Jones, where they really started feeding Ezekiel Elliott and throwing the deep ball with Cardale to guys like Devin Smith and Evan Spencer and Michael Thomas. I think that just suited Ohio State so much better, and it was the reason that they were able to beat a team like Alabama and then just throttle Oregon in the national title game. So it sucked that JT got hurt. But in the long run, I think it worked out in Ohio State's favor. And obviously, they kind of botched the quarterback situation the next year. But I also don't think that Ohio State wins the 2015 title if JT Barrett is still in their quarterback, just based on like style of play and the way they would have run the offense. Yeah, you know, for the sake of argument, I wish I could disagree. And I am a charter member of the JT Barrett fan club. But I am with both you and Jamie. I don't think that they win the twenty five, the 2014 and then they played it in 2015, obviously the CFP, because of the things that you said. They adapted a different style 
with Cardale behind center, you alluded to it. They leaned much more on Ezekiel Elliott. They opened it up. They threw a lot more of the deep ball. And Cardale surprised some people. You know, that was tough to game plan for. There wasn't a whole lot of tape on him, obviously. He kind of came out of nowhere. He'd been with the program for a number of years. And you just look at some of the games, the Wisconsin game, where Ohio State won 59 to nothing. Cardale completed 12 passes in that game for 260 yards. He was constantly taking the top off of the defense and opening it up for Zeke, who had a great game as well. So who knows if they win that game 59 to nothing. If JT Barrett was still behind center, Wisconsin probably would have had a better game plan in place defensively to combat that. They had seen JT Barrett all year. They knew what he was good at and how Ohio State ran their offense with him at quarterback. So, you know, Ohio State probably would have won that game. You don't win 59 to nothing just because of a quarterback change, but that score was the whole reason they got into the CFP. If they won that game by two or three scores, we're probably not talking about them making an appearance in the first place. So that's the Wisconsin game. And then Alabama was some of the same thing. Cardale was trying to take the top off. He had a deep ball to Devin Smith. They had the trick play, obviously, from Evan Spencer and Michael Thomas. But Zeke went bananas that game. And Ohio State had a tendency to lean on JT Barrett a lot, especially in the running game. So it's likely that Zeke would have received less carries or fewer carries. And who knows if he has 85 yards through the heart of the South? Who knows if he plays the way he does? if they're trying to kind of shoehorn JT Barrett runs into the game. And the only thing I would say is I wouldn't have been surprised if they still won it, especially looking at the Alabama game, because the Alabama game was really won by the defense. You know, I think Alabama put up 35, if I'm not mistaken, but they picked off Blake Sims three times. The defense stood up when they needed to, And Zeke complimented that, and, you know, Cardale played well enough. So maybe JT still wins that game, but the totality of it all, Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon, I I just think it's different. JT Barrett was a great quarterback. He was one of the most accurate quarterbacks to come through Ohio State, but they had been there, done that. Teams knew what to prepare for. Cardale introduced a completely different element and a different way of playing the position. And it it obviously led to a championship. And so I think it's tough. But while my heart says they still win, my head says they don't. And it was really about that Alabama game for me. The defense won it. But if JT Barrett's on the field, do they put up 42 points? And I honestly, I just don't know the answer. Yeah, one of my my gripes with Urban Meyer's style as a coach is that at times he he fell in love with players to a fault, and he would only look to them in big situations, and it just became incredibly predictable. Uh, we saw the worst instance of this probably in 2016 with Curtis Samuel, where their entire offense was just based on getting the ball to Curtis Samuel, and then they played with uh, Clemson, and Clemson's like, okay, so we just have to stop Curtis Samuel, and we win the game, and that's exactly what they did. So 
I think he kind of had that issue with JT at times. You know, there was a lot of everybody knew if it was a fourth and one or third and one that JT Barrett was running a QB draw. Yes. Uh, everyone in the stadium, on the field, all the coaching staff, both teams, all the players, every single person knew that this was something that was going to happen. And so stuff like that, you know, made Ohio State predictable at times. And I think that's something that couldn't happen with Cardell Jones because I don't even think Urban really knew what Cardell Jones could do and what he couldn't do at the time when he came in. So it kind of opened up Ohio State's playbook more. And it, it let them have that better over-the-top offense like you were talking about. And I really like the point you brought up about the Wisconsin game because I think you're right. And if you know, if Ohio State doesn't win that game 59-0, there's a chance TCU or Baylor make the playoffs instead of Ohio State. And then we're not having this conversation at all because Ohio State didn't even make the playoff. And so having Cardale in that game and just playing the style of offense they did, being able to score 59 points on Oregon uh, on the backs of Cardale Jones and Ezekiel Elliott, it really changed their make up for the playoff and it's the, the basically the sole reason they got into the playoff because nobody really was thinking that Cardale Jones was going to be good enough to, to put this team into the playoff and if Ohio State comes out in that game and they win like 24 to 7 then they're probably not in and so obviously JT Barrett's injury has a lot to do with that they're already you know people are already doubting them going into that game but the, but the fact that Cardale was able to have the kind of game he was in Ohio State's offense looked the way it did it allowed them to to make the playoffs, and then the rest is history. And so I think, you know, I, I don't think JT Barrett was a bad quarterback, but I just think that the, the the combination of Urban Meyer coaching him the way he did and the way Ohio State's offense looked at times when they leaned too heavily on JT Barrett, it just made it so that Cardale Jones's entrance onto the offense really changed that team. And obviously the defense was incredible. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I don't know if they have the kind of offense to hang with Alabama or, you know, put up another 42 on Oregon the next next week out if they don't have Cardell Jones and Ezekiel Elliott in that backfield. Yeah, it's sort of Braxton Miller syndrome. That's the same thing. They were obviously very different quarterbacks, Braxton and JT. But when Braxton Miller played for Ohio State, Urban Meyer leaned on him heavily, especially in certain situations. You mentioned it. Fourth and one, fourth and two, it's a quarterback draw. Every time. That was his go-to play. It was at Florida. It was back at uh, Utah. Alex Smith ran a lot of it. So the introduction of a different skill set, you know, they probably looked at it and said, okay, Cardale, what do you do well? You haven't played, but what do you do well? What do you want to do? And they built game plans around that as opposed to, you know, JT up the middle, JT up the middle, JT on a sweep, so on and so forth. So I, I, I call it Braxton Miller syndrome. You can call it whatever you want. Urban Meyer leaned on the quarterback a lot for the run. And it's a huge what if for Zeke as well. You know, who knows if Ezekiel Elliott becomes the legend that he does at Ohio State without that opportunity in those three games, really, because he was great against Oregon. Well, it changes a lot of things for a lot of people. So that's probably my number two, and it's, you know, great job by you as, as the, the show producer, I would say, bringing that up second behind Justin Fields. Those are the two that really jump out to me the most and could have changed really the reputation and the success that Ohio State has had since 2014. Yeah, and talking about, you know, different Ohio State what-ifs and, and kind of our last one that we're going to hit on here today, a big what-if and something that's probably on the minds of Ohio State fans every offseason, even though I personally don't think there's any reason to worry, is what if Ryan Day 
uh, takes an NFL job here in the next few years. I personally think that Ryan Day is pretty comfortable with Columbus. He has his whole family here. They seem to really enjoy it. He's got a pretty cushy gig at one of the top college football programs in the country making very good money. But, you know, the NFL will come calling, obviously, if it hasn't already. Uh, teams are going to be interested in a coach of his stature. And, and it's going to be interesting to see what Ohio State does in that scenario. So let's just say, hypothetically, what if uh, after the 2021 season, Ohio State needed to look for a new coach because Ryan Day took the, you know, the New England Patriots job after Bill Belichick retires or whatever. Where in that scenario, Josh, do you think they look first? And what do you think of that whole situation? Man, that's a tough one. I, first and foremost, I'm with you. I think Ryan Day sticks around for a bit. When you look at a Nick Saban or a Davos Swinney, they're very handsomely paid. They get recruits just by waking up in the morning. They kind of they write their own check is what I would say. Uh, so I'm with you there. But if you were to leave, I think Ohio State – should look at Brian Hartline, but I don't know. I don't know if he's ready. I want to say that he is, but he's a position coach. He has not elevated above that. He has not yet become an offensive coordinator, although I think he's got a ton of potential to do so. So I think the right call would be Brian Hartline, but I just I don't know if it happens. I don't know if they elevate maybe a Larry Johnson or a Kerry Coombs to kind of groom Brian Hartline for a year or two. I don't really see that happening. So that's a really great question. I think that if they go outside, they would have carte blanche to go and find any coach that they wanted, again, outside of probably a Saban or a Davos Swinney. But I don't know who that next guy is. There's been a lot of Matt Campbell rumors going back for a couple of years now. And Matt Campbell has done some really good things at Iowa State, but I think he's a little overrated, if I'm being completely honest. You know, he's won eight, nine, ten games at Iowa State. That's great. But I look at him the same way I look at, like, a James Franklin. James Franklin did some great things at Vanderbilt. He came to Penn State to be the next savior for that program, and they've been successful. They've been a good team. Um, but you saw what happened last year. Ohio State should and would never have a fall-off like that, hopefully, fingers crossed. So maybe a Matt Campbell, but if not, then I think that they would look for kind of that young next up-and-comer. But I would really like to see Brian Hartline get an opportunity because if he doesn't, I think Brian Hartline could be gone too because somebody's going to snatch him up. They're going to make him an offensive coordinator or they're just going to take the jump. They're going to take the risk. And they're going to make Brian Hartline a coach. I think he's got that much potential. I think he's that highly thought of. So he would be my choice. I just don't know how likely it is. So I've given basically no answer. (laughs) Where are you at? Yeah, I, I think Brian Hartline is probably a lot of people's top choice just for everything he's done. You know, obviously he went to Ohio State as an Ohio State guy through and through. Uh, the work he's done with the Ohio State wide receiver core has been nothing short of incredible. He's a monster on the recruiting trail. He's a young guy, like you said, up and coming coach. So he has a lot going in his favor. And I think he there is a chance that, you know, Ohio State definitely promotes him to an offensive coordinator sometime soon just to keep him around because, like you said, he is going to be highly coveted in these next few years. But I could see him becoming a head coach someday, and I don't know if that's something he wants to do, but if he does, it's definitely an opportunity that's going to be on the table because of how good he's been doing at his current job. 
I think Larry Johnson is an interesting one as well. Uh, he's a little bit up there in age, so I don't know how much he's interested in being a head coach at this point. But we did see, you know, when when Ryan Day had to miss the Michigan State game last year with the COVID, he, uh, you know, Larry Johnson was the guy who was the interim head coach there. So it's clearly someone who Ohio State respects. He's a guy that's put in his time, more, more than put in his time at Ohio State. Is very very well respected by players and coaches alike, and the the you know the. Ohio State Athletics Department. So he's definitely a guy that if they're going to look internally, I think is someone else that they can look to. Maybe like an Al Washington as another younger guy who's kind of an up-and-comer and a guy that's seen you know different schools. We saw Tennessee looking at him and, and trying to haul him in. So he's another intriguing option. But I actually have a fun thing that I was thinking of before, and I don't know how realistic it would be because he's only been gone for a little bit, and he hasn't really proven that much as a head coach, but he seems to be trending in the right direction. What do you think about the potential for a return of Jeff Halfley, who left to coach uh, the head coach at Boston College last year? He did a pretty good job. Uh, they, they won they won some games. They didn't, they didn't win the big one. They didn't take down Notre Dame or anything, but he looks like he's, he's putting together a pretty decent program over there. Uh, they were better than people expected them to be. And he's a guy that, you know, when he was at Ohio State, he absolutely killed it with Ohio State's defense. And now he's getting a little bit more of that head coaching experience. So I know we said, you know, if it was the end of this offseason, they needed a coach. So I doubt they'd go to Halfley after just two years at Boston College. But he's a guy down the road where if, you know, if Ryan Day is gone in, say, four to five years and and Jeff Halfley has built a, a pretty good program over there at Boston College, maybe that's someone that they look to to bring back as someone who's familiar with the program and a guy that's been at Ohio State, he understands what it's like to, to coach at Ohio State. And he's a guy that, you know, it really seems like players and fans really, really liked in his time in Columbus. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. I hadn't thought of that. I think that he has done some good things at Boston College. He has continued to recruit very well. They've brought in some really good guys. He's poached Jalen Gill, obviously. So, I think that's really interesting, and he does have the head coaching experience. I could see him coming back, and the bummer of it is you know that some Ohio State fans would say he's not a big enough name, but when you saw what he did with the defense and you think about how Ohio State has struggled a little bit, he brings a different dynamic if he were to come back. So that's a really interesting one. I think that I would like to see him if this all came to fruition. I would welcome Jeff Halfley with open arms. I think that he could build on what he's done at Boston College and do it at a bigger, uh, on a bigger stage. And you, you said something about bringing somebody back. If we're talking about that, then I think you have to throw Luke Fickle's name out there too. Luke Fickle is an Ohio guy. He's an Ohio State guy. He was on this staff for a number of years. He was the interim coach in oh gosh, 2011, and obviously that didn't go well, but nothing that year went well. The The program was justifiably unprepared for the transition that took place. So if we're talking about guys coming back, that would actually be my number one option is bring Fickle back. We've seen what he's done at Cincinnati. He has really elevated that program and turned them into a potential non-Power 5 juggernaut. I really, really like Luke. But to go back to Jeff Halfley, I would welcome him back. But my preference on a returnee would actually be Luke Fickle. So I'll turn it back to you. What do you think about that one? 
Yeah, I think if this was something, if Ryan Day were to leave after this year, I think Luke Fickle would be the number one candidate that would be on everyone's mind. Uh, as like you said, he, he's really built a very good program at Cincinnati. They're probably one of the top group of five teams in the country. They play tremendous defense. Their offense has been getting better each year. Uh, he's a guy who, who knows how to recruit Ohio, and he's been doing a good job of kind of getting the guys that Ohio State doesn't get. But if you're at Ohio State, you could get the guys Ohio State gets because you're at Ohio State. And he's got previous head coaching experience there. Like you said, he didn't do so great, but it wasn't really his fault. And it's not really a fair way to judge his, his coaching because as we've seen at Cincinnati, it's very good. So I, I do think, you know, if this is something I don't expect it to be something that happens anytime soon. But if Ryan Day were to leave soon, I think Fickle is the clear, clear number one choice that people would look at immediately after that happened. So I like it. Can I don't I, hate it. You know, can I break your brain real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So we've been talking about potential ex-coaches coming back. And I, I think it's the most unlikely scenario Don't of them all. But Don't do it. <laughs> offensive coordinator. It's going to happen. Trust me. But if we're, if we're playing hypothetical or playing what if in some kind of fun scenarios, we saw Mac Brown return to North Carolina after a couple of years away we saw a guy like Barry Alvarez come back to coach a bowl game. One of these guys is getting up there in age. The other one left under his own circumstances. But Jim Tressel or Urban Meyer, if we're playing this fake game, who do you think would be the most likely or who would you want back most out of those two under this crazy you know, scenario we're looking at? Uh, I, I'm probably in the minority or maybe not. I don't really know how Ohio State fans think these days, but I would not want Urban Meyer back. I think, I, I think you know, his coaching style was good at the time, but it, it kind of got stale towards the end. And I, I think the game has passed him by a little bit uh, with the speed of the college game. And I know he's going to try his hand in the NFL and, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I just don't know if he could you know, if he's if he's built for the, the stresses and the pressures of the college game and how, you know, the game has changed a lot. You know, when he was coaching at Ohio State in the beginning, this was a the Big Ten was a ground and pound kind of conference. And, and they still kind of are, but not at Ohio State where they've completely opened up the playbook and they're throwing it around. They're running all different types of plays and play action and all this crazy stuff that I just, you know, I, I don't want to go back to just a run up the middle for three yards on, on first and second down or whatever and then hope that JT Barrett can complete a 10-yard pass over the middle. It's not the most fun offense to watch and it's not the most effective in, in today's game when, when defenses aren't very good and offenses are very high-flying. So... I don't really know if either of them would be great in today's college football. They were both good in their own respective time zones, but I personally wouldn't want either of them back. I'm sure there's a contingency of Ohio State fans that would want Trestle or Urban back or both, but I am not in those camps. I would rather have the young guy who's who's doing it now and understands how the game works now because I think you know the, the difference between or when Urban Meyer coached his last season and now are like even though it's only been a few short years, it's it's a pretty big difference especially the way that Ohio State's been running things and the way that the program is buzzing right now I think it's it's a little bit different and obviously you know he'd still be the great recruiter that he was I think you know he, he just knows how to get it done on the recruiting trail but in terms of in-game coaching I just I, I can't have him hiring any more of his best men to coach our linebackers so I can't take that risk and I just I'd rather have a, a young <laughs> up-and-comer yeah no I, I th- I'm with you it was one of those fun things to think of Trestle I think is definitely far too old and I'm with you on Urban Meyer. The time has passed, and I think everyone appreciates what he did here. He will go down as a top two or three coach in Ohio State history, but I'm with you. It's onward and upward. Go find the next young guy, and hopefully you get a Dabo Swinney type 
who was here for 10, 20 years. That's what I would love to see. It's You don't see it as often now in coaching, period, across any sport, really. But to have a guy like that, hopefully Ryan Day is that guy for us. Hopefully he is here for 10, 20 30 years if he wants. Uh, Let him do whatever he wants until it gets stale, until we're no longer successful. But I think we're both in agreement that we've probably got, or or maybe not, but I think we're there, that we have the best coaching situation right now. We've got a staff built around Ryan Day that has some potential backup. So what if and is not the the game I want to play when it comes to Ryan Day. I just want to hold on to what we have. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly happy with Ryan Day right now. I think if I could, you know, if I was starting to build a program right now uh, uh, on any uh, college coach, I think I'd take Ryan Day. You know, obviously Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time, but he's only got probably a few short years left. But who knows at this point? He might just Hopefully. coach. He might just coach until the grave. We don't know. But assuming that he retires in the next couple of years, uh, I don't like Dabo Sweeney at all. I think he's very fake, so I don't want him leading my program. I think Ryan Day is a much more genuine human being, or at least gives off those vibes. And I just like the way that he's built Ohio State and that the way he's been recruiting has been insane. So if I could take any coach in the country right now, I'm taking Ryan Day. So I'm happy to have him around and I'm happy that we don't need to deal with this what if until it potentially happens down the road. But I think uh, Ryan Day wants to win at least a couple titles in Columbus before he makes any move to the next level. Sounds good to me. We're content. Happy as can be. I think that'll wrap up our show today. Went a bit long, but we had some fun talking about these different hypotheticals and what ifs. So be sure to check out all of our other what if content this week here at Land Grand Holy Land. And uh, yeah, subscribe, rate, review, download, all that good stuff that podcasts always yell at you to do. And for Josh, Julie, I am Gene Ross, and we will talk to you next week.